Hello and welcome to edition number 1959 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 4th of May. I'm Nigel James and I edited this edition and beside me at the recording controls we have uh, Gavin Smalley. This week we have items mainly from the Whitney Gazette. Our four readers are Teresa Hayes, Francis Ashling, Byron Russell and Alan Ravel. So let's have our first story, which is about frog breeding and is going to be read by um, Teresa. Yes, and the headline is Keepers Jump for Joy at Frog Breeding First. The Cotswold Wildlife Park has successfully bred rare giant Mexican leaf frogs for the first time in its history. The zoo is the only one in the world to successfully breed the species in the past year. The amazing feat saw keepers organise the highly specialised conditions in which the giant Mexican leaf frogs were able to breed. They are a nocturnal amphibian that usually eats insects. The wildlife park has dubbed one frog Bowie due to its striking eyes and another frog Grumpy for obvious reasons. A park spokesman said, In the wild, this unusual species is found only in the subtropical forests of Mexico and requires highly specialised conditions to breed. We are the only zoological collection in the world to have successfully bred Mexican leaf frogs in the last 12 months and has become only the second collection in history to have act- to, sorry, to have achieved this success. Next we have a slightly more serious uh, item about a rapist policeman, which is going to be read by Byron. Yes, indeed, Nigel. So uh, the headline is, Rapist Policeman Looked at Child Sex Abuse Images. A disgraced rapist police officer claimed to have been looking at indecent images of children to help him with post-traumatic stress. Former traffic cop Richard Hale, 41, was handed a seven-year jail sentence in 2016 for raping a woman after overpowering her in his bedroom in Carterton in 2001, two years before he joined Thames Valley Police. He continues to maintain his innocence to the charge. Oxford Crown Court heard last week that Hale was released from prison on licence in April 2020, within weeks of the first national lockdown being imposed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mitigating, Lyle Thompson told Judge Ian Pringle, KC, all found that lockdown very difficult to come to terms with. It must have been even harder for someone who had been in custody for three and a half years. His client had described it like going from one type of prison to another, Mr Thompson said. A former Rhodes policing officer who had seen crashes on a regular basis He suffered from significant post-traumatic stress disorder, the court was told. He experienced nightmares, headaches and intrusive thoughts. It was suggested that this was one of the reasons why he was looking at indecent images of children. A small number of child sex abuse images in categories A to C were found on his digital devices, together with prohibited images of children and extreme pornography. Sentencing, Judge Pringle told Hale, You say that you started to access images because it would deal with the pain you felt from some of the trauma you underwent when you were serving as a police officer. I frankly find that explanation difficult, but I've read a report about you, a trauma therapy report. 
You went and got trauma therapy off your own back. At least that says something about you. He added, make no bones about it. By accessing these images, you create a market, and that market then takes young children and has them grotesquely abused for your pleasure. I hope you remember that if you are ever tempted to look at such images again. Hale, of Peel Place, Carterton, pleaded guilty at the magistrate's court to possession of indecent and prohibited images of children and possession of extreme pornography. The judge imposed 16 months imprisonment, suspended for two years. Hale must do 120 hours of unpaid work and sex offender rehabilitation programs. When Hale was sentenced in 2016, then Deputy Chief Constable, now Chief Constable, Jason Hogg, said, There is no place in the force for those who commit the offences of this nature. The force said it was unable to provide a photograph of Hale, as it claimed it did not have one. Next we have a story about villagers winning a fight against a new development. This is going to be read by Francis. Yes, the headline on this one is Villagers Win Fight Against Rampant Urbanisation Bid. Villagers fighting rampant urbanisation are celebrating after plans for 80 homes were rejected. Construction company Spitfire Homes proposed to build the properties on open countryside at Chapel Meadow in Freeland. West Oxfordshire District Council's Uplands Area Planning Subcommittee followed the advice of a planning officer, Joan Desmond, when they unanimously refused the scheme last week. Freeland resident Joan Whitbread said, This is a huge victory for the village of Freeland, who values its rural lifestyle and will not be bullied by speculative developers. She added, I'm sure they will appeal, but the fight will continue and it is very representative of the deep feelings that flow through the blood of rural folk and this rampant urbanisation must be stopped before it is too late. The development, which included allotments and community shop with 12 parking spaces, was strongly opposed by locals who argued that the village is already at capacity. One concerned resident, Jane Tomlinson, wrote on West Oxfordshire District Council's public planning portal, Freeland's population is 1,500. A new estate of 80 houses plonked in a field would increase the size of the village by 10 plus percent. It's too big, entirely inappropriate and has numerous knock-on effects. Other concerns were that the village school was already full and would need bigger class sizes as well as extra classrooms. Parking spaces proposed for the shop were inadequate, they argued, and this would force people to park along the Roslyn Road. Villagers also stated that Chapel Meadow is a wildlife haven and forms part of a wildlife corridor from Blenheim Land in the east to Ensham Hall Park in the west. Freeland residents only recently fought against plans for a retirement village which they said was the wrong development in the wrong place as the village did not have the infrastructure to support it. Inspired Villages, which was established by Legal and General, hoped to build 160 retirement units opposite the same site as that proposed by Spitfire Homes in Roslyn Road. Opponents were delighted when the plans were first refused and then the developers appealed. 
However, last month, they were left in utter disbelief after they learned Inspired Villages has lodged a High Court challenge against the Planning Inspectorate's dismissal of its appeal. Campaigners said they could not understand why a developer who had plans rejected twice would take their application to the High Court. And now Alan's going to read two short items. Yes, the first headline is Busy Beavers, Scouts and Cubs Clean Up Town. Scouts helped keep Britain tidy on St George's Day by taking to the streets and lanes kitted out with bin bags and litter pickers to rid Whitney of rubbish. Dozens of members of Buttercross Scout Group met on Sunday afternoon collecting sacks full of litter as part of a community clean-up. With more than 400 young people and 40 adults in uniform, the Scout Group is one of the largest in England. Based in a former chapel on Marlborough Lane, the, gr- the current group was formed in 1970 with one cub pack and one scout troop. It now has five beaver colonies, five cub packs, four scout troops and an explorer unit. And the second story is headlined, Bottle Attacker Sentenced. A woman has been sentenced for assaulting a man after she struck him with a bottle. Roxanne Townsend, aged 32, from Carterton, was sentenced on April 26 for assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. Oxford Magistrates Court heard Townsend was confronted on March 12 last year for a suspected theft in the co-op store in High Street, Ensham. Townsend was sentenced to six months in prison, which was suspended for 18 months. She has been ordered to pay £150 in compensation. And the next story is headlined, A Body Found by Thames Search Team. A body has been found in the search for a teenager in the River Thames on the Oxfordshire border. Police were called to the river in Letchlade at around 10pm on Sunday after a report that a 17-year-old boy was in the water. Following extensive searches, a body was located by the emergency services on Monday. Although formal identification has not yet taken place, the boy's next of kin have been informed and they are being supported by trained officers. Gloucestershire Constabulary has said that the thoughts of his officers were with the boy's family and friends at this distressing time. They added that the death was not being treated as suspicious. And uh, a disconcerting headline here, Farmer guilty of leaving sheep to rot in a muck heap. A shepherd from Whitney has pleaded guilty to leaving dead animals to rot in a muck heap. Jonathan Simpson, 38, who trades as John's shepherding of Hunter's Close Farm, Middletown, Haley pleaded guilty to 13 animal welfare and farming standards offences at Oxford Magistrates Court, following a prosecution brought by Oxfordshire County Council's trading standards team. The court heard Simpson had failed to comply with the restrictions on animal by-products by disposing of a large number of dead sheep over many years by burying them in a muck heap and leaving them to rot and decay. The offences occurred between 2017 and 2022. 
Jody Kerman, Oxfordshire County Council's Head of Trading Standards, said, Those who seek to bypass the rules not only put the integrity of the food chain at risk, but also gain an unfair advantage over hard-working farmers. The lack of processes Simpson had in place risked the spread of disease, while also hindering traceability and attempts to contain any such outbreak. As the most rural county in the southeast of England, an uncontrolled animal disease outbreak would have a hugely damaging impact on people's lives and on our local economy. Simpson was sentenced to a 12-month community order, including completion of a 15-day rehabilitation requirement. He was also ordered to pay £2,000 towards the prosecution's costs, as well as already paying thousands of pounds for the appropriate removal of the heap. I've got a couple of short items here. Bampton bangers are among the best in Britain. A family butcher's sausages have been crowned among the best in Britain. Patrick Strange Butchers in Bampton won golds for its old traditional banger and its innovative Six Nations sausage at the prestigious Smithfield Awards. The butchers also picked up two silver awards for their Bampton Royal sausage and breakfast sausage. Manager Ollie Weaver said, We feel really honoured by these awards. Throughout the year, we strive to maintain the standards we have set ourselves, which range from the health and welfare of the animals through to the specific requirements of our customers. These awards reflect the entire team effort here to manage our customers' expectations of us. And the second item, gun theft warrant out. A warrant has been issued for a man accused of stealing an antique gun during a burglary on an octogenarian's home. Darnell McHale, 26, of West Bromwich, was due before Oxford Crown Court on Tuesday morning, facing a count of dwelling house burglary. When he failed to attend, recorder Alexander McGregor issued a warrant for his arrest, not backed by for bail. Prosecutors claim McHale stole a gun worth £650 during a burglary on a house in Moore Avenue, Whitney, last August. The allegation is denied. And the next story is headlined, Yobs Make Neighbours' Lives a Misery. A group of youths have been accused of terrorising a so-called luxury development with antisocial behaviour. Thames Valley Police warned last week that a small group of young people have been jumping on cars, chasing cats with sticks, littering, lying in front of moving vehicles, shouting and swearing in a close at Kingfisher Meadows on Burford Road in Whitney. There have also been reports of youths going into people's gardens and destroying their flowers. A householder who lives at the centre of the trouble in Badger Muse, who didn't wish to be named, said, It's out of control. It's been ongoing for quite a long while, but it has got worse. The kids congregate together and they do not have any respect for people's privacy or property, and the parents have no respect for people's property or for what their kids are doing. I have seen them tearing up the gardens. She said she had contacted the housing association, ASTA, multiple times. She said, There's drug dealing around here. There are frequent drug drops. I've sent a video of it to ASTA and contacted social services. 
The estate is generally very nice, but the problem is right here. I've reported the bent sign, that's the entrance to the, the um, development, to Astor, but it hasn't been replaced, and first impressions count. A closure order was made for a property in Badger Mews in April last year. Closure powers allow the local authority or police to quickly close premises which are being used, or likely to be used, to commit nuisance or disorder. The neighbour continued, There's a park a few yards away. We've all got back gardens, but the kids, kids congregate here. I don't know why. Police Community Support Officer Helen Murray said, We're encouraging people to ring 101 or use the web form to report these issues. She added, If these issues carry on, we will be looking at giving antisocial behaviour contracts to those involved. Another police spokesman said no such contracts had yet been issued, but this will be the next step. Astor Housing Association said in a statement, We are working closely with the police as they carry out their investigations into this antisocial behaviour. Customers who have been affected by the behaviour are being supported, and where we understand children of Astor customers have been responsible, we have been in contact with those customers, reminding them of their tenancy conditions and warning them that such behaviour needs to stop immediately. And now it's uh, quiz time, and before I uh, give last week's answers, could I ask anybody with a vested interest not to answer them or any of the other questions that come up later on? First question from last week was, what season in May is the world's southern hemisphere? What season is May in the world's southern hemisphere? No, answer, autumn. Question two. Cinco de Mayo celebrates the Mexican victory over which country in 1862? France. Question three. What spring flower officially represents the month of May? Lily of the Valley. Question four. May the 8th, 1945, brought Germany's unconditional surrender in which world conflict? World War II, yes. And question five, what New York landmark opened on May the 1st, 1931 and was the tallest building in the world at the time? The Empire State Building. The Empire State Building, yes. Well, congratulations to all of you who got those answers. Now to this week's questions. Question one, Robert Moog pioneered which electronic instrument in the 1960s? Question two, What is the capital of the Australian state of Queensland? Question three. In which African capital city does the White Nile meet the Blue Nile? Question four. Muscat and Similion are both varieties of which fruit? And question five. What is measured in choirs and reams? And the answer to those questions will be given to you next week. And now we're delighted to welcome David Sarbats, who's going to give our reflection this evening. Thank you, David. Thank you, Nigel. On the 8th of September 2022, many people across the UK and around the world were greatly saddened at the news of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. (coughs) Even people who might not think of themselves as monarchists felt a sense of loss. After all, 
anybody under the age of 70 had never lived under another monarch. The late Queen had been such a consistent feature of our national life. Would anyone be able to replace her? The answer, of course, was yes, in that Charles, Prince of Wales, immediately became King Charles III on the death of his mother. Having been heir to the throne for 70 years, he had certainly had time enough to prepare. This Saturday, in a ceremony rooted deeply in British history, he will be crowned King at Westminster Abbey. The coronation will be an historic moment in the life of our nation, a time to reflect on our history, celebrate who we are and look to the future. But I find it rather confusing that the coronation happens eight months into the King's reign. What is that all about? And what do Christians make of it? To some extent this depends on who you ask. The British monarch is also the supreme governor of the Church of England, the head of that church, under God, and even above the Archbishop of Canterbury, who will lead the coronation service. The coronation takes place after the new monarch has acceded to the throne, and it takes months to arrange and organise such a grand ceremony, and invite important people from all around the world to attend the event. So some could say for the Church of England, the coronation of a new king is a very great deal. But in other denominations, there may be a greater range of views. Historically, some of those denominations called nonconformist very deliberately broke away from the Church of England because of its close relationship with the British establishment. The monarchy, of course, is very much part of that establishment. But for those Christians in denominations who care about royalty, many will be welcoming the fact of the coronation. In the Bible, kings and rulers generally don't have very positive reviews. In the Old Testament, the people of God are led by judges and priests until they start crying out for a king, just to be like other nations of the world at that time. Previously, God has been seen as the people's king, and so this desire for a human ruler is not very well received. But in the end, God approves their request, and Saul is chosen as the first king of Israel. Saul starts well, but ends badly and is replaced by King David. David reigns for a long time and is held up as the archetypal good king, a man after God's own heart. Despite his many failings and foibles, including adultery, murder, self-indulgence and vanity. After David comes his son Solomon, described as the wisest man who ever lived. But Solomon also goes off the rails. And by the time his son Rehoboam takes over, the nation is not in good shape, eventually dividing into two, Israel and Judah. After that, most of the kings who are written about in the Old Testament are portrayed negatively. Moving on to the New Testament, 
Jesus is also described as a king, the true king of Israel, and indeed of the whole world. Even Pontius Pilate, who signed Jesus' death warrant, wrote on it the king of the Jews. But his model of kingship is very different to that of those Old Testament rulers, and indeed many rulers today. The kingship of Jesus is not about power or prestige, wealth or status. Most people who came across Jesus in the 21st century would not have thought he was a king of any kind. And when he was sentenced to death and crucified, then faith in Jesus as God's chosen king would have been very difficult to sustain. But the consistent witness of those who were there and wrote about these things is that Jesus rose from death after three days and that one day he will return to this world. At that point, heaven and earth will be renewed and reconciled and Jesus will reign, the king of justice and of peace. Much of this lies behind the symbolism of the coronation of King Charles III. For example, the ring he will receive is marked with a cross, a reminder of the ultimate king in whose footsteps he follows. The rod he will receive is topped with a dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, whose wisdom he will need to rule well. The orb, a representation of the earth, is crowned with a cross as a reminder that Jesus is the ultimate king of the world. And the oil with which he will be anointed is another symbol of the Holy Spirit, a prayer that God will anoint and equip the king to serve this nation. So while people will differ in how they think about the system of monarchy and how they feel about the coronation of our new king, Christians will agree that Jesus is in the end the world's one king and will want to pray that King Charles will be led by the Holy Spirit to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I pray that the coronation might be a moment for the nation and many around the world to encounter the person of Jesus Christ, the servant king, and hear his call to each of us to serve others. May God bless each one of you. Thank you very much for that uh, reflection, David. And uh, well-chosen words in advance of the coronation on Saturday. Thank you. Our next story is about somebody climbing up Kilimanjaro and will be read by Teresa. Yes, and the headline is Kilimanjaro Climb Follows Heartache. An Oxfordshire nursery manager has been inspired to climb sorry, Africa's tallest mountain after facing a series of personal challenges and heartache. Gemma Hirons, 38, from Carterton, will set off on the eight-day trek to conquer Kilimanjaro this summer to fundraise for the Bright Horizons Foundation for Children. Set up in 2005, the Foundation's purpose is to help children and families experiencing disadvantage and crisis. Ms Hirons, who manages Bright Horizons St Mary's Day Nursery in Abingdon, said, The past six years have been really tough. In 2016, at just 32, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. 
I had just been promoted to deputy manager a few weeks earlier, and this news completely floored me. Luckily, it was caught early, and after a gruelling 12 months of treatment, I was given the all-clear, and I celebrate my sixth year in remission this year. Then, two years ago, my dad was diagnosed with high-grade throat cancer. This hit my family hard, and I found it so upsetting watching him go through treatment, knowing firsthand how horrendous it was. I'm incredibly close to my dad, and being told he had cancer affected me more than my own diagnosis. He is a fighter, though, and he now celebrates almost two years in remission. Miss Hirons was dealt a third devastating, devastating blow in March this year, when her best friend Andy was killed in an accident. Sorry, it was last year, not this year. She spent months after losing him in a sombre state, reliving every challenge she had faced in recent years, and admits it was difficult not to think, what have I done to deserve all of this? She continued, he was my best friend in the whole wide world. He was my person, and his death absolutely broke me. After an extremely low period, I finally concluded that life is way too short, tomorrow is never guaranteed, and how important it is to live life to the absolute fullest. Ms. Hirons has chosen to fundraise for a charity close to her heart, the Bright, Found- Bright Horizons Foundation for Children, which supports children and families by creating bright spaces. These are warm, safe, enriching play environments located in homeless shelters, domestic violence refuges, hospitals, police stations and prison visits halls and help support vulnerable children affected by domestic violence, parental imprisonment and ill health. Denise Priest, trustee and director of the Bright Horizons Foundation, said Gemma is an integral part of St Mary's Day Nursery and the resilience and strength she has shown over the past few years is admirable. We've no doubt that Gemma will conquer this challenge and we're behind her all the way. We also want to express our gratitude to her for choosing to fundraise for the Foundation to support our mission to make a difference to the lives of children and families. To donate, visit Miss Hirons' Just Giving page at justgiving.com forward slash page Gemma's Kilimanjaro Climb. And now, two more short items. Number one. Pub closes temporarily for a major renovation. A pub near Whitney has closed temporarily to undertake a six-figure investment. The Black... Sorry. The Golden Eagle Green King Pub on Blackburton Road in Carterton will reopen its doors on June the 5th. It's currently undergoing major renovations to both the inside and outside of the pub. The Golden Eagle is actively recruiting for a variety of front house and back-of-house positions. Next, Pokemon cards stolen. Jewellery, seven guitars and collectible Pokemon cards were stolen in a burglary over the weekend. Officers are investigating the burglary, which is believed to have taken place between April the 21st and 22nd in North Holt Road in Carterton. Offenders forced entry to the property and stole items including electronic devices, cameras and memory cards, a silver Tiffany necklace, collectible Pokemon cards and seven guitars. Some of the cameras taken were vintage. Those with information should call 101. Child asylum seekers reported missing from hotels in county. 
child asylum seekers have gone missing from Oxfordshire hotels with fears that some may be being exploited by criminals. Speaking to councillors on Wednesday, Temporary Assistant Chief Constable Katie Barrow-Grint said a number of children had been reported missing from hotels in the Banbury area that are being used to accommodate asylum seekers as they wait for their asylum claims to be processed. Hotels elsewhere in the county, including in Oxford and Whitney, have been used to house those seeking asylum. In the meeting, she said some children had been reported missing from the hotels, and in response to questioning by the committee chairman, Councillor Charlie Hicks, appeared to put the number in single figures before saying she would check the figures and send them to the county council's place sorry, place scrutiny committee after the meeting. It comes just months after Home Office Minister Simon Murray told the House of Lords that 200 asylum-seeking children placed in hotels run on behalf of the Home Office had gone missing. They included at least one girl and 13 under-16-year-olds. Last month, a family court judge heard that 66 unaccompanied children who disappeared from a hotel in the Brighton and Hove area remained missing, according to reports. More than 75 had gone missing from a hotel with fears they had been targeted by criminal gangs. Councillor Hicks asked Ms Barrow-Grint whether any of the children missing from Sussex had been found in Oxfordshire or the Thames Valley. We have had some in Thames Valley. In Oxfordshire specifically, we've had some go missing from Banbury, so the hotels in the Banbury area, she told the committee. They are children. Children are more likely than not to be high risk. The force was working very closely with local authorities around how we track and trace some of those individuals. Some of them have completely disappeared and normal methods we would use to try and find them have been very difficult, she said although it was unclear whether she was speaking about children reported missing from Oxfordshire. While the issue of unaccompanied asylum-seeking children going missing was a problem nationally and locally, Ms Barrow-Grint told councillors that Thames Valley Police had a good process in place when it came to hotels being opened up for asylum-seekers. PCSOs would go to the hotels to speak to those being housed there about policing in the UK, she said. Many of them are scared of the police. Many have been in environments where they would never want to speak to the police. It's very different there. We police by consent. So we've been going in to speak to them about the legislation, explain the law, explain consent, and build up those relationships as they come into Oxfordshire as well. Uh, My headline is District is set to be the one to watch in local elections. West Oxfordshire is being labelled nationally as the place to watch in local elections which, uh, well, are happening now as we record, um, which is Thursday. A total of 230 local authorities in England are holding elections, with West Oxfordshire being identified as a particularly noteworthy count. The Liberal Democrats have high hopes of progress in some of this region's many conservative areas. Both the Lib Dems 
and Tories are fighting for a majority with West Oxfordshire, home to former Conservative Prime Minister David Cameron, being earmarked as one to watch. Liberal Democrats councillor Andy Graham is the current leader of West Oxfordshire District Council, representing the Woodstock Division. Mr Graham was elected to the District Council on, uh, in 2015 and is leader of the Liberal Democrat group. He previously served as the Mayor of Bishop Stortford and he was a councillor on East Hertfordshire Council for 16 years. The current makeup of the council is coalition-run, made up of 15 Lib Dems, 9 Labour and 2 Greens. On the opposition benches, there are 20 Conservatives and three Independents. The district, of course, has been nationally prominent as a result of television presenter Jeremy Clarkson's ongoing feud with the council over his diddly-squat farm planning applications. And now we come to Editor's Choice. And first of all, if, we, if I may, I'd like to go through on this day, the 4th of May, internationally... And in 1471, the Battle of Tewkesbury was the final battle between the House of Lancaster and York. Prince of Wales, Edward of Westminster, was killed, and King Edward IV returned to his throne, restoring political stability to England until his death in 1483. In 1535, five Carthusian monks from London's Charterhouse Monastery were hung, drawn and quartered at Tyburn for refusing to acknowledge Henry VIII as head of the Church of England. In 1540, Venice and Turkey sign a Treaty of Constantinople. In 1776, Rhode Island declares independence from Great Britain. And in 1818, the Netherlands and Britain sign a treaty against illegal slave handling. In 1859, the Cornwall Railway opened across the Royal Albert Bridge, linking the counties of Devon and Cornwall. In 1904, Charles Rolls met Henry Royce at the Midland Hotel in Manchester to go on to form the car manufacturer Rolls-Royce. In 1912, Italian marines occupy the Turkish island of Rhodes. In 1932, Al Capone entered Atlanta Penitentiary, convicted of income tax evasion. In 1979... Margaret Thatcher becomes the first woman to be elected Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And in 1990, Latvia's Parliament voted 138 to 0 for independence. And now to uh, items locally from this day uh, in Oxfordshire. On May 4th in 1816, the first Hartford College was finally declared to have been dissolved some 11 years previously in 1805. The first Hartford College began in the 1280s as Hart Hall, a small tenement built roughly where the college's old hall is situated today, a few paces along New College Lane on the southern side. In medieval Oxford, halls were primarily lodging houses for students and resident tutors. During the 18th century, under the educational reformer, the Reverend Dr Richard Newton, Hartford was a relatively Spartan college, having received no real endowment. Students were expected to work hard and many well-to-do families sent their sons there to instil in them some discipline, unlike their privileged contemporaries whining and dining in other colleges. When nobody could be found to succeed the last principal, Bernard Hodgson, 
Hartford College was dissolved in 1816. In a striking symbol of the college's demise, the decrepit medieval front of the by then defunct Hartford College collapsed into Cat Street in 1820. And so we come to our notice board. Now, there are no listeners' birthdays to mention this week, so we move on to uh, the deaths as reported in the uh, Whitney Gazette. The first is Sharon Brown of Whitney, who died on the 6th of April, aged 56 years. Second is Sylvia Trigg of Ducklington, who died on the 20th of April, aged 75 years. Fourth is Doris, our own Doris Burton, who died on the 20th of April, aged 85 years. Next is Cecilia Woolcraft, who, uh, from Burford, who died on the 20th of April, aged 75 years. Then Margaret Drinkwater of Whitney, who died on the 22nd of April, aged 91 years. And Brian Winfield, um, former postman barman at the White Horse and Mermaid, who died on the 18th of April, aged 84 years. And we're very sorry to report that one of our longest-serving volunteers has died. Derek Turner was involved primarily as a recording engineer of our programmes from the 1990s until 2012. His widow, Doreen, has had an equally long involvement and she remains a member of our committee and an active volunteer. Derek died on Saturday, April 29th and was 94 years old. Whitney Talking News extends its deepest sympathies to Doreen and to the couple's three children, five grandchildren and countless friends. And our uh, condolences also go to the relatives and friends of those mentioned in the Gazette. We would like to have your feedback on the service we provide to you through Whitney Talking News. As we Are we providing the selection of things that you want to hear? Are there things you'd like to hear which we're not doing? Bearing in mind that we are limited to the amount of news that appears in the Whitney Gazette, do you feel that we are reporting on the sort of things you want to hear? Please let us know your thoughts. Just put a slip in your yellow pouch, either with comments, or we will arrange for somebody to telephone you to discuss things. And now we move on to our next selection of items from the Whitney Gazette. And those of you suffering withdrawal symptoms, there are two items regarding Jeremy Clarkson. But first... We have an item about the Lib Dems, which will be read by Theresa. And the headline is Liberal Democrats Endorse Rival Candidates. And this is another story where Andy Graham is mentioned. The leader of West Oxfordshire Liberal Democrats has endorsed a Green Party candidate for the upcoming, that's today's, local elections. Councillor Andy Graham, leader of West Oxfordshire District Council, has written to the electorate ahead of local elections next Thursday and has urged people to vote for the Green Party candidate, Sandra Simpson, in the Whitney North Ward. Writing to householders, Mr Graham said people should use their vote to support the candidate best placed to defeat the Conservatives. Whitney North's councillor and the independent candidate, Richard Langridge, told the Oxford Mail that Graham, Mr Graham didn't really have a choice but to agree to endorse the Green Party candidate. Mr Langridge said, Andy is in coalition with the Greens, so he really doesn't have a choice but to agree. Mr Graham, who was running for re-election in the Charlbury and Finstock ward, has been approached for comment. Right, this is the next one about Jeremy Clarkson. 
And it's headlined, Chippy fights back after Clarkson mourns decline. A councillor has hit back at Jeremy Clarkson's suggestion that Chipping Norton isn't great anymore because so many small shops have closed and there is too much housing. Mr Clarkson, who moved to the town 30 years ago, said when he arrived there was really a butcher, a baker and a candlestick maker. And there was a factory that made Draylon armchairs, so the people had jobs and shops. He blamed town planners and said someone at the lodge decided Chipping Norton needed 800 million new houses. So the Parker Knoll factory was pulled down and turned into a housing estate and all of the surrounding fields became housing estates as well. End of quote. He went on that instead of being good news for the local shops, the town planners reckoned that all of the people in these new tiki-taki houses didn't want local people selling local food. They wanted a supermarket. And not just one either, they wanted five. This caused the small shops to shut, along with the little department store, the brilliant hardware shop and the bank. But town councillor Steve Akers said, I don't agree, Chippy is great. Him saying otherwise is not helpful and does us down. He is wrong regarding shops. We still have the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker, or at least stockist. We are blessed with having great independent shops and the town council is working hard to welcome new businesses and keep the high street vibrant and welcoming. We will be launching our Keep Chippy Beautiful initiative, which will aim to involve the whole community, including visitors to his farm shop. He is wrong on businesses closing because of new houses and people wanting supermarkets. It's because of the way multinational businesses chose to operate. It's called capitalism. Most of our banks have all closed because our big banks believe, incorrectly in my view, that all can be done online. We are fighting the proposed closure of the Barclays branch, the last remaining bank in Chipping Norton. He said... He said where he does have a point is on the overall number of houses. That has changed, Chippy, over the last 30 years. It is a pressure felt in every market town everywhere. As a town council, we have constantly asked for a planning master plan process. We are determinedly opposed to further encroachment onto agricultural land. Perhaps he could ask some of his influential friends in the Chipping Norton set to spread the load a little by putting some affordable housing where they live. Jeremy Clarkson gets a mention here too. Uh, It's not about him though. Uh, The headline is Clarkson's Farm Star Presenter Presents Rugby Medals. Jeremy Clarkson's farming companion, Caleb Cooper, presented 300 medals to youngsters participating in a rugby festival. The famous farmhand from the Diddley Squat Farm delighted the kids at Chipping Norton's Rugby Festival. Mr Cooper also posed for pictures with the participants and spectators. As many as 60 junior teams competed at the club's Greystones base on Burford Road. The festival was held on Mr Cooper's former school grounds. In an interview he said, 
I was bo- I can't do the accent. I'll, I'll just read it. I, I was born in Chipping Norton, and I'm sure people have seen the second season of Clarkson's Farm, where I say my son is born in Oxford, and I call him a foreigner, because all my family are born in Chipping Norton. I wouldn't say it's weird coming back, as I know everyone in Chipping Norton. Everyone just gets along, and that's the one thing I like about Chipping Norton the most. Mr Cooper did, however, admit that he's more a fan of football than rugby. He said, I'm a football man. I don't do rugby, but I played on these pitches from when I was a young boy. I was the goalkeeper. The thing I like about football over rugby is that rugby hurts. I wouldn't want to be on the pitch with these kids, he said. And my next story is headlined, Man Sentenced After He Was Found With Knife. A man has been sentenced after he was found in possession of a knife. At 10am on Wednesday, Levi Grant, aged 45, of Walker Drive in Farringdon, was stopped and searched by officers on Bampton Road in Clanfield, near Bampton. During the search, a knife was located in his possession, and subsequently Grant was arrested and charged on the same day. Appearing at Oxford Magistrates Court on last Thursday, Grant pleaded guilty to one count of possession of a bladed article in a public place and was given an 18-week prison sentence suspended for 12 months. He was also ordered to complete 100 hours of unpaid work and fined £239. It was also ordered that the knife was forfeited and destroyed. PC Ryan Dollery of the Rural Crime Task Force said... Through Operation Deter Principles, Deter Principles, sorry, Grant was arrested, charged and remanded within 24 hours of the offence. Operation Deter is a zero-tolerance approach to knife crime. As part of the operation, we will robustly target and pursue those who carry knives in public and put them before the courts as quickly as possible. Tackling knife crime is a top priority for Thames Valley Police, And as a result of this case, we have now removed a weapon from the streets and Grant has been dealt with accordingly. Our message is simple. If you carry a knife, you will be arrested, charged and remanded to court. It is simply unacceptable to do so. And now, a short piece about flight restrictions, which will be due to the coronation flypast. Flight restrictions are to be imposed across parts of the South East and East Anglia due to the coronation flypast. The flypast is due to disperse over parts of Oxfordshire. A notice to pilots published online said Transport Secretary Mark Harper has decided to ban aircraft from flying below various altitudes in certain areas on the afternoon of Saturday, May the 6th. It's understood this will have an impact on light aircraft pilots and drone users, but not commercial flights. That is in contrast with the day of the late Queen's funeral, when more than 100 Heathrow Airport flights were cancelled to prevent aircraft noise disturbing proceedings at Westminster Abbey and Windsor Castle. At around 2.15pm on May 6th, the King and Queen will appear on the balcony of Buckingham Palace with other members of the royal family to watch a six-minute fly-past of more than 60 aircraft from the Royal Navy, British Army and Royal Air Force, including the Red Arrows over the Mall.
The aircraft will then disperse to airspace above Surrey, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, Gloucestershire and Wiltshire. Restrictions on aircraft not taking part will be in place in airspace above parts of London, East Anglia and the North Sea at various times from 12.15pm until 2pm. Aircraft operated by the emergency services are exempt. Here's a light bit of coronation, uh, a tale of interest. Care home pair make coronation crown fit for a king. Two care home residents in Whitney have taken part in a special video to wish King Charles well ahead of his coronation. Jean Jackson, aged 89, and Betty Beachy, aged 90, from Madley Park House on Madley Way, handcrafted crowns for the special occasion. The video shows the pair trying on their creations and then passing them on in a chain. Nikki Rowlands, the home manager at Madley Park House, said, Friends, Jean and Betty, are nimble-fingered knitters, and together they enthusiastically knit our very own St Edward's crown, the crown used in coronation ceremonies, for the video message. We know the real crown is very heavy, so we wish the king good luck on the big day. Nikki added, Activities are important for residents, social, mental and physical well-being, and provide meaningful occupation and engagement. They can also be lots of fun. As we prepare to celebrate the coronation, we've been reminiscing together about old times and previous royal ceremonies. Madley Park House is a care home run by the Orders of St John Care Trust. King Charles III is the sovereign head of care home sponsors, the Venerable Order of the Hospital of St John of Jerusalem. And there's a lovely picture of the two friends sitting on the sofa, and one of them is definitely wearing a knitted crown. And our last story this evening is uh, another about the uh, festivities coming at us this weekend. The headline is Town Gets Ready for Right Royal Coronation Festivities. And it reads, Whitney is getting ready to celebrate the coronation of the king. A royal knees-up is planned in 12 streets around the town and a sweet shop is in the running to be crowned winner of best window display in the town. Elsewhere, Isabel Johnson in Whitney is doing her bit with a themed royal display on her bird bath with Union Jacks and figurines of the royal family. It's visible from the street. She has also hung bunting and decorations in her front window. She said, I bought the flags and figurines especially. I regularly do some sort of display in my bird bath on a theme. I started doing it during lockdown. I've been planning this one for a couple of months. I just thought it would make people smile. Volunteers have also been making bunting for the town centre and there is a display by two members of the public of their extensive collection of coronation memorabilia in the window of the town hall admin offices. Schools have been invited to create a commemorative book of their coronation celebrations and meanwhile the shake shop on Whitney High Street has gone to town with decorations and even a royal visit ready for the judging of the best shop window competition in the town centre on Saturday afternoon. 
I'm not sure who will be coming for the royal visit. I think they'll be busy. But anyway, three days of celebrations start with a chance to watch the national coronation celebrations live on a big screen. Town crier Jean Postlethwaite Dixon will make the official coronation cry ahead of a free screening during Saturday morning at the Corn Exchange. Then there will be a children's make and play event in the gallery room at the Corn Exchange from 2pm to 4pm. On Sunday, a coronation civic service will be held at 10.45am at St Mary's on Church Green. It will be followed by a huge community picnic, the Big Lunch on the Lees. Compared by Windrush Radio, there will be fun and refreshments from the coffee shed and Hatwell's Funfair will be in town with rides and food stalls. Thames Valley Police will be offering bike marking and Whitney Vikings Youth Football Club will be teaching ball skills. There will be an adult and kids fancy dress competition and a throne photo booth with dress-up props. This free event will feature live music and arts performances from Ducklington Morris dancers and open mic sessions. The event will end with a finale from WOAPA Choir singing the National Anthem. On Sunday afternoon, the Coronation Concert will be shown on the big screen at the Corn Exchange in a free but ticketed event. And finally, on Bank Holiday Monday, there will be local volunteering opportunities for the nationwide Coronation Big Help Out. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Um, As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including magazines. These include internet, podcasts, and full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link, listen online. So please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. It can go into any post box, doesn't have to be taken to a post office. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, please simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and we will then telephone you. And please stay listening after this uh, item for the TNF radio listings for the coming week and the audio-described TV programmes. So it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight and also thanks to our technical expert, Gavin Smalley, and our copiers will be Byron Russell and Gavin Smalley. And our volunteers who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you've returned and keeping records of this in our register have been Jan Butler and Lynn Harding. And finally, our four readers. They have been Theresa Hayes, Francis Ashling, Byron Russell and Alan Revel. And I know everyone would like to say goodbye until, until our next edition. Goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, May 6th, Coronation Day. 
If you want to hear coverage of the early military movements to the King's procession and some specially selected music as well, Katie Derham is on Radio 3 just before 9am on Saturday morning. You can tune in then to Radio 4 from 10am and the main service is on all the BBC channels from 11am. Coronation Day, King Charles III and Queen Camilla. Staying with the coronation, Moira Stewart's Classic FM Hall of Fame is of course a coronation special playlist of British music. Classic FM, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If you'd like to get away from the coronation, Drama in the Shadow of a Man is Jane Goodall's 1971 account of her work with chimpanzees in Tanzania. That's on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Sleeping Murder, an adaptation of an Agatha Christie story with June Whitfield as Miss Marple, is on Radio 4 Extra at 5pm. Opera on 3 is Vorjak's Rolsaka from the Royal Opera House on Radio 3 at 6.30pm. And we'll round off Saturday, Coronation Day, with, of course, more on the coronation in Sounds of the 80s, Gary Davis marks the special day and looks ahead to Eurovision, which we'll be talking about more as the days go on. Radio 2, 8pm. Sunday, May 7th. Just a Minute with Sue Perkins is on just after midday on Radio 4. Love Stories, Anna Karenia, part 2, is on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Mark Steele's in town, Carlisle. Comedian creates a stand-up show for a local audience. 7.15, Sunday evening, Radio 4. Drama on 3, She Stoops to Conquer. A performance to mark the play's 250th anniversary is on Radio 3 at 7.30. And the Coronation Concert at the Castle, including among many stars, Andrea Pocelli, Bryn Terfel and Lionel Richie, is all on Radio 2 at 8pm. On to programmes then that are serialised throughout the weekday, Monday to Friday, same time, same radio station. So every day they're on at the same time on the same radio station. Book of the Week is Hands of Time, part memoir, part history of The Watch, 9.45am, Radio 4. Nagabanchetti does news interviews and listeners' experiences on Radio 5 Live at 11am all week. Composer of the week is Pauline Viador and her circle. Noon on Radio 3, Monday to Friday this week. Frontline of journalism, Jeremy Bowen interrogates the role of journalism today and our notions of truth. It's on all week at 1.45, Radio 4. Smooth Classics at 7 with Zeb Sones this week. It's Tuesday to Friday because of the bank holiday on Monday. Classic FM, 7pm. Book of Bedtime, Victory City by Salman Rushdie, episodes 6 to 10, 10.45, Radio 4. On to the rest of the week then, the highlights for Bank Holiday Monday, May 8th. Afternoon Concert, includes music by Elgar, Glinka and Mozart. Radio 3, 2pm. Lady Killers with Lucy Worsley is an investigation in the case of two sisters in 1880s Liverpool accused of murder. 
11.30 in the morning on Radio 4 for this one. The Round Britain quiz is South of England versus Scotland on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Well, get ready for lots of programmes about Eurovision. Starting off on Radio 2 on Bank Holiday Monday night, Liverpool welcomes Eurovision. Interviews with famous Liverpudlians. Radio 2, 7pm. Tuesday, May 9th, Super Senses, Digital Touch. An exploration of how new technologies are refining what it is to touch. Radio 4, the place for this on Tuesday morning, 11am. On to drama, and it's part one of Leaving. This is a family drama about love, loss and legacy. Radio 4, 2.15 in the afternoon. Word of mouth, the language of fascism with Michael Rosen is on Radio 4 at 4pm. Something slightly lighter, a double dose of laughter. The Goon Show, Radio 4 Extra, 6pm. And Flywheel, Shyster and Flywheel, a creation of Marx Brothers Lost Comedy. Radio 4 Extra at 6.30pm. Who knew there was such a thing as the Eurovision Song Contest semi-final? But there's two of them, as it's a semi-final, and they're happening on Tuesday. The first one, anyway. 8 o'clock, Radio 2, the Eurovision Song Contest semi-final. By the way, the United Kingdom are always in it because they fund Eurovision. But if you want to know who they might be up against, it's the semi-final on Radio 2 at 8pm. And as it's a Tuesday... There is In Touch with the latest news for blind and partially sighted on Radio 4 at 8.40pm. Wednesday, May 10th, Drama, Leaving, it's part two on Radio 4 at 2.15 in the afternoon. An imaginative experience, part one, is a dramatisation of a novel by Mary Wesley. That's on Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock. Lemsey says social enterprise, a reflection of charity, social enterprise and people and ideas of food, is on Radio 4 at 6.30 in the evening. So bad it's good, a reflection on why seemingly bad culture can be so enjoyable, on Radio 4 Extra at 8pm. While the Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe is on Radio 2 at 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Thursday, May 11th. Crossing continents, searching for my son. After the chaos following Turkey's February earthquake, a Syrian refugee was separated from his son. In this programme, they follow his search. Radio 4, 11am. The drama is Domino on Radio 4 in the afternoon. Three generations of men from one family play dominoes and it turns into a struggle for power. Radio 4, 2.15. Open Country, Wartime Secrets of Coles Hill is the 1940s estate, became the training HQ for a secret underground army. This is the story on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock. Booked is a literary quiz on Radio 4 Extra at 7pm, followed by a sitcom about a social worker, Claire in the Community, Radio 4 Extra, 7.30pm. I promised you a second semi-final of Eurovision. It is the Eurovision Song Contest semi-final part two. Radio 2, 8pm on Thursday night. Lastly, Friday, May 12th, and Ed Reardon's week. Grumpy Ed joins a protest this week about a tree threatened by HS2. Radio 4, 
11.30 on Friday morning. Steptoe and Son, a classic comedy on Radio 4 Extra at 6. While the news quiz is on Radio 4, the topical comedy panel game at 6.30pm, Radio 4. Radio 3 in Concert, a programme of music by Michael Tippett, is on Radio 3, including a performance of A Child of Our Time. The programme starts at 7.30. If you'd like that particular performance on Radio 3, it's on at 20 past 8. And we round off the week, a busy week of that, starting with the coronation and ending, of course, with the build-up to Eurovision, which will be the following day, the Saturday, May 13th. Frontline of Journalism, an omnibus edition of the week's episodes on Radio 4 at 9pm. That's it. Thank you to Angela for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. Hello. This is Lizzie from Otley Talking News, reading John's choice of audio-described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 6th and ending Friday the 12th of May 2023. So, let's start with, on Saturday the 6th, Coronation Day. BBC One, Two and ITV are all showing the coronation during the day. And as it's live, it's not audio described. But you should get an understanding of what's going on from the commentary. If you have some sight, you could watch the television whilst listening to the radio. I am sure the radio listings has or will mention the coronation. There is an alternative on Channel 4. The MI7 spy agent Johnny English has to come out of retirement when a cyber attack exposes Britain's spooks. Johnny English Strikes Again is on Channel 4 at 11.45am. A girl who loves reading is prevented by her parents from attending school until her father finds Miss Trunchbull's Cruncham Hall. Matilda is on ITV at 3pm. When a kidnapped princess falls in love with a bandit, she must venture into the outside world for the first time. Tangled, this Disney Disney version of the Brothers Grimm fairy tale Rapunzel, is on BBC One at 315 a patient arrives at the ED and is found to have a grenade in his possession. This perilous situation threatens the lives of other patients and the staff of Casualty. On BBC One, tonight at 8.30. Susan finds herself under increasing pressure from Charles and Articus Pund believes he knows the identity of the Saxby murder. The final part of Magpie Murders is on BBC One at 9.15pm. On to Sunday the 7th, Mowgli's life is thrown into jeopardy with the arrival of the tiger Shikan in Disney's animated film The Jungle Book on BBC One at five past two this afternoon. How about some spy action? 
a Russian is about to defect to the West and bring with them an important cipher machine. But James Bond is drawn into a dangerous trap. See how he gets on in From Russia with Love on ITV at ten past four. How will Ellie Goulding, Moran Rizwan, Tracy Ann Oberman, and Sophie Morgan get on with baking a marble cake, jam roly poly, and a show-stopping biscuit? In the Great Celebrity Bake Off of Stand Up to Cancer on Channel 4 at 8pm. Would you like to journey from Venezuela to Tierra del Fuego from your armchair? Well, you can if you watch Simon Reeves' South America at 9pm on BBC2. This is the first part of a series of five. Lucinda is left reeling as a familiar face appears at Edith's inquest. The third part of Malpractice is on ITV at 9pm. Now, here's a look at programmes that are on at the same time each weekday. Maximum Security at 10.45 all week. Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15. Bargain Hunt at 12.15 all week. Doctors at 1.30 on Monday, but 1.45 until Thursday. Escape to the Country at 2.45pm on Monday, 2.50 on Tuesday, 3pm on Wednesday and Thursday, and 3.15 on Friday. All these are on BBC One. Moving to ITV at 2pm is Dickinson's Real Deal on Tuesday until Friday. Great Asian Railway Journeys at 7pm on BBC Four. At 5 past 7 on Thursday, it's not on on Friday. I'm a Celebrity South Africa on ITV at 9pm each evening. The final is on Friday. All the soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at individual programmes starring on Monday the 8th of May. David Attenborough journeys from the intense heat of the tropics to the planet's frozen poles in this specially extended edition of Blue Planet 2, Oceans of Wonder, on BBC4 at 7pm. Kirsty and Phil look at ways of being smart with storage as they reflect on a property in Newcastle. Kirsty and Phil's Love It or List It Brilliant Builds is on Channel 4 at 7.30pm. It's the fifth and final week of the heats where nine more home cooks prepare their family favourites for John and Greg. MasterChef is on BBC One at 8pm. Sarah and Graham start work on a new clock tower complete with a bell. But when they lift the pre-built tower onto the roof, it doesn't fit. Find out if they solve the problem in Sarah Beanie's new life in the country on Channel 4 at 8. 
Two British corporals are tasked with delivering an urgent warning to a battalion on the Western Front about an enemy ambush. Will they make it? Find out in the feature film 1917 on BBC Two at 9pm. Tuesday the 9th of May. C and Dave head for Marseille to sample a delicious fish stew burrito. Do they like it? Find out in the Harry Biker's Mediterranean Adventure on BBC Two at 7pm. Alan Tishmarsh and his team meet Sybil, who once shared her London home with foster children and refugees, but now struggles to look after the garden she loves. Alan designs an intimate, peaceful space in Love Your Garden on ITV at 8. How does a York factory churn out 32 million mints every day? Greg Wallace visits the site in Inside the Factory on BBC Two at 8. Angel Lynn was a bubbly 18-year-old when she met her boyfriend, but as social media, texts and CCTV show, she was gradually isolated from loved ones, abducted and then left with life-changing injuries. The kidnap of Angel Lynn is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Recep Erdogan, the current Turkish president, was born when Turkey was ruled by the secular elite. He became highly popular as mayor of Istanbul, but the constitution forbade mixing of religion and politics, and he was sent to prison. While there, he created a new, more moderate party, which swept to power in 2002. This documentary, Turkey, Empire of Erdogan, charts his life and career and is on BBC Two at 9pm. Part two is on at the same time tomorrow. Remember the Shake and That TV advert jingle? Or the flake woman in the bath? These and other advertising moments are revisited in Mad Woman on Channel 4 at 10pm. On to Wednesday the 10th. The remaining seven contestants face two more challenges. A dish to a brief by food critic Grace Dent and then show how to use spice in their meals. Which four will make it through? MasterChef is on BBC One at 8. The Isle of Mull rugby team hire Banjo Beal to redesign their bar so that it reflects the team's rich history. Find out how he gets on in Designing the Hebrides on BBC Two at 8pm. Choices at 9, starting with... A new series about teenagers in the care of Coventry Social Services follows them during a crucial year of their lives. Zorin returns having spent three years in Wales after being exploited by a drugs gang. And Annabella is expecting her first child and is determined to break the cycle of care. How they get on is revealed in Kids on Channel 4 at 9. 
The second part of Turkey, Empire of Erdogan, is on BBC Two at nine. The gruelling eight-week Canadian expedition comes to an end as the contestants race to the final checkpoint at the most easterly point of the North American continent. Find out who are crowned the winners and welcomed into the Hall of Fame in Race Across the World on BBC One at nine. For the first time after the end of the race, the contestants reunite. And reveal insights into their strategies. Race across the world. The reunion is on BBC One at ten forty. Thursday, the eleventh. Fifty-two-year-old Richard doesn't know the identity of his father, and Janet is keen to find out if she has a half sister on the continent. Stacy Doolin. And Professor Turi King unlock these mysteries hidden within genetic codes in the new series of DNA Family Secrets on BBC Two at eight p.m. Max and Jake hide from Maggie in Edinburgh and discover her link to Sir James Darrock in Part Three of Guilt on BBC Two at nine p.m. As the battle for the trophy continues, jelly babies cause friction between the teams, and we learn that May and Evo share a common go-to noun. All will be revealed, maybe, in Taskmaster, on Channel Four at nine. Andy is imprisoned for the murder of his wife and her lover. His friendship with long-term life are red. And the discovery of his financial expertise make him in big demand, and his ordeal easier to bear. The Shawshank Redemption is on BBC Four at nine p.m. A doctor is set on fire in the grounds of his family's museum. Everyone who works there, including his siblings, are under suspicion. Can Dalglish solve the case on Channel Five at nine? The final part of this is on tomorrow, also at nine. Vicky hopes to meet her perfect partner on online dating, but will she end up chatting to the Lonely Hearts killer? Go inside number nine on BBC Two at ten to find out how she gets on. Finally, to Friday, the twelfth of May. Neve fears her dad is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, in Hope Street, at one forty-five p.m. on BBC One. Iolo concludes his series on a moor near Clangoflin, looking for hen harriers, in Iolo's Borderlands, on BBC Two at seven. In the last quarter-final, the four remaining cooks must create two courses that will impress John, Greg, and three previous MasterChef stars. How they get on is told in MasterChef on BBC One at eight thirty. At Hardwick Hall in Derbyshire, conservators prepare a portrait of Queen Elizabeth the First. For a tour of North America, 
and at Lincolnshire's Belton House, a 17th century portrait is being carefully cleaned. Find out how they do it in Hidden Treasure of the National Trust on BBC Two at nine. It's the final of I'm a Celebrity South Africa on ITV at nine. Dom and Kay are in a mess. They are on their own and have Clinton's body to bury. They then head to Clinton's house, which yields an interesting discovery. But Dom and Kay are not the only ones breaking in. Find out what I'm talking about in Black Cops on BBC One at nine thirty p.m. Enjoy your audio-described week. TNF Soundings. 